The title for tonight's talk is The World Led Us, the official title. It's not my preferred title. My preferred title is The Turn, Ten Worldly Conditions. But as anybody who's read the literature knows, there's only eight worldly conditions in the books. And so I wouldn't want this title to go around the Dharma Seed Tape Library catalog and everybody thinking I'm totally ignorant, uh, we are totally ignorant of how many conditions there are. However, in the parenting discussion group this morning, we came up with two more, and that's why we have ten. And uh, let me explain that a little better. What are known in the scriptures as the eight worldly conditions, or eight worldly dhammas, or dharmas, Hence, how you translate it, are four pairs, and the following pairs, pleasure and pain, gain and loss, praise and blame, success and failure. And the two I wish to add to, to inform about what we discussed today is control and out of control. Of course, you know, a scholarly attitude here would be to say that, well, control and out of control are covered by, are comprised by, say, success and failure, surely. It's not that the Buddha ignored that. But I want to emphasize it. What is it that this... Uh, eight worldly conditions or ten worldly conditions do to us. When we take them as the reality of things, when we take praise and blame, success and failure, control and out of control, loss and gain, pleasure and pain, as the reality of things, we find ourselves trapped. We find our lamb, our life, as if it were, in the vice of these alternatives, cramped by these alternatives. They don't give any space for anything else but that. We are boxed in, restricted. We feel obliged to choose one or the others in each pair. We, we may not perhaps go into each one of the pairs. Different people will, will have issues of control or not control. Others will have primarily issues of pleasure and pain, or success, failure, etc., etc. Gain and loss in the world of money particularly. But, but whatever we, we highlight in our life, we, we feel obliged to hang on to one alternative, say success, and if we cannot do that, then we fall into the abyss of failure. And there is no other place to be. Of course, this is not totally of our own. We live in a world that reinforces that. 
culture and society reinforce that, absolutely. The advertising media is constantly telling us to go for pleasure to avoid pain. Um, I mean, it becomes unthinkable that anybody would uh, not do that. The, the practicalities of life as they are organized need to pay our mortgage, for instance. Force us to go to gain and to fear loss can be devastating. We don't pay the mortgage, we lose the house. Lose the house has dire consequences. Sure. World is arranged so as to support that split. Blame and praise, that's another one. Or praise and blame, actually. We are, we are very concerned about that. I see, for instance, several of my grandchildren in the rooms have these um, certificates. What is it called? Award certificates. Posted all over their walls. And awards for everything. Absolutely everything. Every child in a class, I found out, gets at least an award, if not two. So it's inconceivable that you wouldn't get praise. And if you don't get praise, it's terrible to get some token of praise. And as to the blame, if, if any blame comes close to us, we immediately look around, whom can I unload it on? And go and find a target and unload it. Success and failure, of course. Just the words are also speaking to that. And, uh, and we invest our life, many of us, in achieving success and uh, avoiding as much as we can failure. And of course, as we have to manage either our family life or own finances or... Uh, situations in, in managing uh, business and things like that. Certainly, controlling things is, is what uh, we are asked to do, and if not, it's a disaster. But the, the real issue here is not so much what these pressures are, what society uh, encourages and so on, but what this particular dichotomy, this particular splits do to us, or even more clearly, what we do to ourselves in the names of this particular splits, what we do to ourselves in the, play, in the name of keeping things under control, for instance. Let me highlight control, which is the reason why I brought this subject up, in fact. Of course, it is very reasonable to exercise control over a good number of things. 
And uh, if we if we need a an authority for that, we we can go directly to the Buddha, who in fact reminds us of the need to, in the course of, uh, as he says, um, abandoning the taints, that is, purifying ourselves. He says, uh, seven ways to do that. One is seeing, seeing into things. The other is restraining. Another word for controlling, of course. Seeing, restraining, using, enduring, avoiding. Control has to do with avoiding, too. Removing. Control has to do with removing and developing. But it's, it's obvious we don't need to go to the Buddha for that. We know very well that if we're driving a car, we have to do it with restraint and care. We know very well uh, that uh, uh, certainly those uh, things uh, outlined in the five precepts, including, for instance, uh, not abusing drugs and intoxicants. Of course, we have to use restraint and control, if you wish, in those areas. And as was very made very clear today in the discussion, we have to exercise control of our children. Absolutely no doubt about that. This is not a, a talk advocating permissiveness at all. So we have to exercise restraint on ourselves and restraining, have a restraining influence on others around us, particularly children, although not excluding others. The problem is not that, I repeat. The problem arises when the I, the self, the, the ego self, that is, the, ten, the I-making tendencies usurp control in the form of attaching, attachment to control, aversion to being out of control in that description. And of course, nothing in between. To put it in other terms, when the exercise of control begets the controller. And when the, the purpose of control is precisely that. Let me clarify this further using a classical Buddhist schemes of uh, dependent origination, which doesn't refer to control, but refers to pleasure and pain. And just to go over this, and some of you may know, others not, uh, Buddha says, when, we, when our mind comes in contact with an object, uh, experience that can be seen as providing pleasure or pain. This is the pleasant sensation, see? Cultivates, invites a want. 
That's a pleasant smell. I want that. From the want comes an attachment. And the real point of the attachment is that attachment is what gives birth to the I. In fact, the whole process, although it starts very innocently, if you wish, ends up being a means for fabricating the I. And the I-making tendencies in our mind immediately cultivate this process of I like, therefore I want, therefore I attach myself to it, and I attach myself to it. There's the I. The same thing occurs in the case of control. There's a contact with a situation, quite naturally, quite innocent, uh, to use a qualifier used before, that evokes feelings and thoughts that leads to wanting an outcome, still quite reasonable and natural and, and the, the way things happen. And next step, it's a tricky one, when there's an attachment to that particular outcome. I attach to that particular outcome, and who attaches to it? I. And the controller is born. And if we're not watchful, this process starts occurring not for the purposes not for the purpose of providing an appropriate outcome, but for the purpose of creating the controller. It's a process that thrives in this thrives in the dichotomy created by this uh, control or out of control, or if you wish, pleasure and pain. And in the case of pleasure and pain, what the only thing we allow in between is a numbness. We become numb if if we are we become indifferent to something that's uh, in between. That's neither pleasure nor pain. And so, when the issues of control become very important in family life, then family life can turn into a factory of self, in the factory of I. If I don't get to what I want, I'll be in the pits. Whether what I want, say, pleasure and pain, is attachment to beauty, to taste, whatever. As a I mean, grandparent with my partner, um, blessed with uh, eight children, eight grandchildren in the neighborhood, a few more if you count it differently, anyway. <laughs> Depends how you count it. And uh, occasionally we get them to visit. Uh, so a couple of weeks ago we had four of them. Um, 
brother and sister nine years old each. Sorry, brother, brother and sister nine and twelve, and another brother and sister nine and twelve. So, and very beautiful interaction and so on. And and the, the food preferences were such a blatant manifestation of who they want to fabricate for themselves. Each, in, in the sib pairs, the, they wanted totally different foods, totally polarized. They were differentiating themselves, who they were, by what they wanted. Their identity was based on what they wanted. And so much of their activity was spent in building identity. And very nice and beautiful for grandparents to observe. We don't have to. And also much uh, lighter with us, you know. And finally they would, uh, they would end up accepting a lot of things that they would, they would never even imagine coming close to at home and things like that. Gain and loss uh, dyad. Again, we just uh, fabricate the eye around uh, whether I win or lose the game. And of course, there's a lot of uh, folklore about this. Like, it's not whether you win or lose, but how you play the game. We talk about that, but in the final analysis, it is winning or losing. We fall into that trap. This is a case where our culture recognizes that there's an alternative. But we very seldom really cultivate that alternative, just playing not to win. Praise and blame. Yeah. Constantly passing on judgment over, over <coughs> others. And through these judgments, fabricating who we are. Again, one of my teachers, uh, age nine, Pablito, who was staying with us a few weeks ago, he came from, his, he went to some camp situation over the weekend, and um, he came back and he said, the counselor is my friend because he thinks the U.S. soccer team, team sucks. Well, yeah. His father is Italian, into soccer, and all that, you know. Identity. Creating I through praise and blame. Success and failure. Now, each one of us, in any activity, can easily fall into the trap of success or failure. Uh, right here, right now. I'm sitting here, and I could be thinking, I mean, wondering, am I, am I succeeding or am I failing? Is this a good talk or a bad talk? <laughs> Whatever. Am I getting, going to get praise or blame, you know, and, and sit here waiting for the praise or the blame to come up? And, and, you know, it's totally unnecessary. It's obvious it's totally unnecessary. We all contribute whatever we can to the best of our abilities. Sometimes not even to the best of our abilities, you know. We have bad days, we have off days too. 
But if we, if we let the pressure of these demands catch us and trap us, we, we are not free. Our minds get uh, crowded, anguished. I say anguished. Um, is my Spanish background and Latin background. See, the word anguish comes from Latin angustus, which means narrow. So anguish, anguish and narrowness are the same word in Spanish, for instance. They are very similar, similar words, same root. And so, again, when, when we don't create space, when we only have this one one alternative, the one we want, or the other, the abyss, then there's no space for us to be, unless we constantly cling on to the wanted alternative. And there, you're always in the fear of losing it. Like with control. An expression that was used today in the discussion very often. I lost it. Thought I had control, but then I lost it. It's all a contrivance. When we split the world into this four, or in my new version, five pairs of alternatives. It's all a contrivance. Not very different from the contrivance that I was talking about this morning of the, the Truman Show, this guy Truman who's uh, in his show and he doesn't know and the whole world around is manipulated by, by Mr. Christoph. You may remember what I talked on. Maybe. Some of you may not have been there, but anyway, it's a situation in which... Uh, um, well, I use, I use the story of the Truman Show as an example of the little voices in our head that tell us that things are this way. That we must hold on to control or we lose control. And or we're out of control. That we must hold on to success or we are a failure, etc. So, is there a way out of this situation, of this trap of this contrivance. And very simply, the situation, the, the solution has to do with dropping the attachment. In, in the pair pleasure and pain, dropping attach, attachment to pleasure. But it doesn't mean not having the pleasure. Very clear. And again, the Buddha was very clear on that. At some point, in the scriptures, he, several times, he talks about the rapture that comes with the practice, of course. And, and at some point he says, well, couldn't there be something wrong with that? I mean, isn't, isn't that tricky, dangerous? I, I'm using my words, I'm not quoting him. I don't have that quote here. And he says, well, but, yes, but, that rapture, and I think I have a quote for this, the rapture 
did not invade my mind and remain. Uh, I read that as saying, rapture did not invade my mind and remain attached. Uh, that's how I read it. It did not attach. There was no attachment. So, wonderful. Welcome. Joy, of course. Who's going to turn joy down? Gain and loss? Oh, enjoy game. Enjoy the play. Money? Use money, of course. Enjoy money. Naturally. Praise and blame? Of course we love appreciation. We do love appreciation. And, and in itself. I mean, that's nourishing. The problem is, are we going to be attached to appreciation? Are we going to be expecting the appreciation? And when we get it, are we going to hang on to it, you know? Success and failure. That's uh, something superimposed to the universe. The universe itself doesn't know what that is. What about control? How can we drop the attachment to control? I think a very important step is to acknowledge right up front that life is a collaboration. A collaboration and we are just a, a collaborator in that making of things. In that collaboration there are other human beings, including our children, of course, and our grandchildren, of course, and great-grandchildren. I have one. There's nature, there's circumstances, there's even those parts of ourselves that we don't want to acknowledge. But they get into the act, even more so than the parts that we acknowledge. And as to the dichotomy of control out of control. You know, just as uh, we are concerned about our child, is he or she in, under control, out of control. Well, that may not be a very good description of things, you know, except in, in extreme forms. Well, there's an extreme control, an extreme out of control, sure, but so much space in between. The same thing happens with our own mind and the practice, as you can see in the sittings. In the practice, also, there's an issue of controlling the mind. What do we do with the mind? We tell the mind to do certain things, watch the breath. Does it do it? Forget it. Because the love of the place. So, again, are we going to, to be there uh, agonizing in anguish because we cannot get the mind to do what we tell it to do. 
It's not just our children, our own mind, mind you. And again, in the practice we discover that there are ways of dealing with that. Ways that involve a collaboration with other parts of ourselves that we are denied. At the risk of uh, appearing as somebody who goes always to the movies, I think I've seen two movies this year. One is a Truman Show, and the other is a Horse Whisperer. And um, in fact, I saw that movie with Robert Redford, very beautiful. Because before seeing the movie, I happened to run into a program on PBS on, on the original Horse Whisperer. The original Horse Whisperer, whose name I totally forgot now, uh, uh, is a man who introduced a method of training horses, um, training wild horses, taming the horses, without using violence, by using kindness and communication. In other words, he would there'd be this wild horse, and he'd go in another horse and follow this wild horse, this Mustang, this Bronco, and, and use some kind of body language to create some connection of empathy between himself, with the use of the help of his own horse, and this wild horse. And it's amazing what uh, this documentary shows that he can achieve. And it's so much like the process of taming our own minds, really. Um, compassion, friendliness, understanding, acceptance. I'd say that goes for relationship with children as well, even more so. So, when our attachment to control leads to compulsive controlling, leads, in a, say, a family situation, or in a situation between friends, to a, a contest of wills, a battle of wills, to see who will prevail over the other, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. We are caught in this alternative. When we see ourselves caught in that, let's just take a little distance from the situation. A few breaths, been said here before. And, and know there is an option. There's an option of instead of attaching to to our idea of how things ought to be. Just see how much of our baggage is interfering there with the situation. How much of our tendency to fabricate the I is interfering with the situation. And that's why the battle of the wills comes up. Just to see that. It's going to happen, not to castigate ourselves because it happens, just to see that it happens. See, yes, that's happening. And, and then, 
come to a place of acceptance. Acceptance of, of our tendencies, acceptance of our, our children differences, complexities, if you wish. It's a little bit like letting go of, of getting what we want. Maybe before we get what we want, we can just uh, look at the situation and understand who the actors are there. What the I is doing in ourselves, and of course in our child, if it's a question of child. The world is uh, complex. It's not there just to satisfy our wishes. You know, there's a, there's a tendency to imagine, to fantasize that the world is there to satisfy our wishes and wants. And and it, it couldn't be because there are other people in the world too, you see, who may and do have same expectations. So, so a little distance there. When I say a little distance, is, um, uh, is this a stick back, a, a resignation? I have to resign myself not to get what I want? Well, if, if, you, if you cling to this duality, yes, it's like a, a defeat. The important thing is to understand that we don't have to see the world through this prism of black and white, of, of control, out of control, Pleasure and pain, success and failure. If we do that, if we drop that, what we get is quite the contrary of resignation. We, we get a, an opening to the experience of joy, and as to an unmitigated source, source of joy, which is a feeling free. It's is creating space in our lives. Creating space in our minds. This spaciousness that we talk about very often, and, and that it is an experience that comes with practice, cannot survive when it's caught in the vice of this pairs of worldly conditions. May all beings live skillfully, restraining that which needs to be restrained. May all beings see through Ten worldly conditions. May all beings live with an expansive heart and a spacious mind. Let's sit for a couple of minutes in silence. 